Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Happy summer solstice, everyone. This episode is part two of a conversation that was shared last week with astrologer Bear River about reincarnation. We touched on reincarnation through the lens of Venus and Mars in part one, and we venture out to the outer planets Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto in this one. So why did we look at reincarnation through the planets? Well, in looking at a natal chart, there is a way to read the natal chart from the perspective of, you know, this is the soul's history, or this is a karmic portrait. And so We could read the chart from a purely incarnational perspective, that it's a map of who we are in this life. Um, But if we are looking at the chart from a reincarnation-based astrology or reincarnation-centered techniques, or we're thinking about the lunar nodes or Pluto as something to do with the soul, then you can really look at the planetary archetypes through the lens of reincarnation. So this is what we got into We got into Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto in part two. And if you haven't listened to part one, go ahead and do that before listening to this one. This whole conversation left me feeling both so peaceful and electrified. Peaceful because when it comes to really taking in the idea that we've been here before and we'll be here again and that there's a much longer arc of time, there can be an acceptance that comes with that. Um, Sometimes a sense of Uh, acceptance of what life is and awe of the enormity of life and also electrified because there were just so many interesting things that we talked about and it was really stimulating and sparked a lot of things for me and I hope for you as well Um, but I heard from those of you that commented last week that you enjoyed part one a lot I often think about what one of my philosophy professors said about philosophy being a verb, that it originated in dialogue philosophy, and that by sharing ideas, it's like gathering kindling for a fire. And at a certain threshold of the conversation, there's a spark that ignites the fire, and in this way, philosophy is created. It's a synergistic creation that happens by combining and sharing perspectives. And I actually feel immensely privileged to be a podcast host and to get to bring people on to collaborate and create sparks and to create conversations. It's something that I'm really grateful for. I also think about what I heard Shaman Durek say when he came to speak at CIIS. He's the podcast host of Ancient Wisdom Today, and CIIS is the college, uh, the grad school I went to, the California Institute of Integral Studies. So Shaman Durek commented on how we are conditioned in the society to come home from work and drone out, essentially, to watch television instead of getting together with other people to have philosophical conversations. 
And I'm not going to lie, I love media, but I think of him saying this sometime and the thoughts of my professor about philosophy being a created thing in conversation. And I think of how I felt a significant shift in my reality after having this conversation with Bear. Like I did, I had this spaciousness of freedom and opening in my field. And what I'm suggesting is that if you are the kind of person who likes to talk about magic and esoteric things, I hear too, too many of you say that you have no one to talk to you about these things. And maybe I'll record an episode about that sometime because I do have a lot of thoughts on it. But as an idea, an invitation, consider the people in your life who do like to kick it in the magical realm and do that together. Or like Bear said, people who can woo with the best of them. If you don't know any of these people, it can help to get involved in some groups that bring people together specifically around what you're interested in. And these are often online and that's okay. A lot of my best friends are people that I call up on the phone and hang out with on FaceTime. And I do wish I could see them in person more often, but the heart connection and the mind connection that we have is too powerful to not invest energy into those connections, even though they're long distance. Anyway, when you have someone or someones that you can talk about magic with um, or talk about out there ideas with, explore a question together. Share your experiences that are out of the ordinary. Cultivate sparks. Generate something in conversation that surprises you. And I'll get off my soapbox and some news before we begin. The Kickstarter that I've been telling you about for a little while now is live. I'm funding a year ahead of Astrology Forecasts and Magic of the Spheres podcast episodes. June of this year marked the sixth year of content creation um, with the Astrology Forecasts and more recently this podcast. I'm offering a variety of rewards for backers, including astrology talks that are downloadable, live, you know, one-on-one astrology readings, discounted tuition to my evolutionary astrology intensive, which is a introduction and a big foundation into having a relationship, a very deep relationship with astrology for yourself, learning how to cultivate a practice, how to open your intuition to astrology and think critically about astrology and form your own relationships to the archetypes. Uh, I love teaching this class and it's been a really big impact on students who have run through it. And I'm also offering the lowest cost ever tuition for a new course called Online Presence as Performance Art. This is a course to help people develop a more magical relationship with the internet. So moving away from that narrative that the internet is a place of soul-sucking scrolling and opening up to the internet as a place of opportunity and connection. I can't tell you how many of my friends and colleagues are people that I met from the internet or as a result from having an online presence. You know, if you have a message that you want to share, finding out how to get your message across on the internet can put you in touch with unknown friends and colleagues, um, opportunities that are really just waiting in the wings. So it's a mystical and psychological exploration of how to be in right relationship with the internet and having an online persona. 
I'm leaving links to the Kickstarter as well as these courses and the course pages in the show notes. My goal is to be backed by 200 people. At the moment of recording this, we're at 18 backers. If you've been enjoying my content, I'd love your support and also potentially to work with you should you select an astrology reading or join one of my courses. Here's the rest of my conversation with Bear River. So for reincarnation and the outer planets, um, I, those were the ones that were like really obvious to me of like, they all have such really strong like significations around that because they're transpersonal and in that is like beyond the personal, beyond the current incarnation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we were talking before the show about Pluto and, you know, even if we just think about Pluto as a planet that has such a long cycle we each have our own Pluto natally configured, however it is. But then that generational Pluto is configured to another generation's Pluto and to the Pluto of the chart of the nation we live in and the town that we live in. Um, and as the planet that takes the longest to go around, it means that we have the greatest number of people with different types of configurations at any one time. You know, like... Um, I've met countless people who have Jupiter and Aries like I do. And that doesn't mean that they have the same type of generational impulse. Um, but there is definitely no way that you will ever meet another person who is not your age approximately with the same Pluto placement. <laughs> um, so we're always having this like, and I've been looking at <clears throat> outer planet synodic cycles and Pluto Neptune conjunctions happen once every like 500 years. So we don't even get to have this like union of an ideal or a thought form that impels us or compels us into incarnation together with this emotional intensity um, that is keyed in the same way. So, you know, we're, we're all, you know, there's dozens of us, whether, you know, it's, us, our grandparents, if we're, we have, you know, families lived long enough, our great grandparents that are all having the same one conversation with a moment that happened, you know, the last one was, uh, I think, 1898. And the one prior to that was 1398. You know, so we're having these like long, long conversations over generations. Um, and so and that's one of the things that I've been thinking about more recently uh, in terms of orbits and phases and like visible astronomy if we could see pluto um what pluto would hold in that context curious about what you think about pluto uh i love pluto i feel like <laughs> um the getting a sense of what's my pluto story so like in my natal chart pluto and scorpio and the ninth house just like really working with that, what's Pluto an aspect to, has really helped me detach enough from compulsions to alter them and then to use my focus with intention in places where I wasn't before. 
And I think that Pluto has this really strong correlation with pain. Um, I feel like for me, like even when I was a kid, I would write like journal entries when I was mad or something like that. And I would look at what I had written and I would be so upset. I would like tear it up, destroy it, like write all over it with Sharpie. Like I just had this like violent relationship with the things that I had created, uh, Pluto Mercury and an aspect. Whereas now I have like, I have like a talent for writing and like I'll share my writing across the internet and Mercury Pluto people often like to have their information like spread. Um, They want their ideas to go viral or whatever. So I think about this transformation that I've had with like so many tears shed over my writing and like having this like violent inner relationship to it. And now it's like this super life-giving and life-enhancing you know, thing. And that a lot of my friends and community I've found through my writing and like through the effects that writing has had. So that's just like a, a fairly kind of like benign example in some sense, but I feel like, you know, Pluto in the ninth house, the need to be believed, like having this like sense of, you know, or if someone has a different opinion than me wanting to convert them or convince them and the undoing and like pain and suffering that that can cause when, it's like not knowing that that's where I'm coming from at like a deeper psychological lens. So I feel like studying Pluto and working with it has helped me transform in such a deep way. And like, kind of, it feels like do the work of this incarnation and know what that work is. Like, what's the assignment? What did I come here to learn? So it's my favorite thing to like share with people. Um, And I just think too, that it's kind of like, Pluto can maybe find us when we're in enough pain that we're ready for some kind of transformation. Because I think that, you know, I came to study evolutionary astrology when my life was incomplete, like shit had hit the fan. Um, And it was like a beacon or a lighthouse that helped me. And I think that when you bring up kind of like past lives and karma to someone that's just kind of going about their business and like they don't want to hear that information at the time, like it's not going to matter to them. I think that Pluto is this kind of when we're open to it, um, we can touch into the transpersonal, like deep psychic soul memory because of a desire to expand past our limitations, a desire to not have the same addictions or the same patterns, or like, why am I always in such pain over this particular thing? Um, And to actually want to change that. I feel like that's when Pluto's kind of medicine opens up. But I think it's a planet that people are also like afraid of in some sense. Like it's not like a planet that people necessarily have fuzzy feelings about. Yeah. I mean, even if we like think about it, God, there's so much there. Yes, I think Pluto, people are often terrified of Pluto. <clears throat> if Pluto is, you know, pain and like not necessarily like this like torturous torment, but, um, you know, stubbed my toe pain. Oh no, gonna have to die now pain. Um, then yeah, it makes sense that we would be definitely afraid of that, especially Westerners. You know, we are like pathologically terrified of death in our culture because um, it is just a part of life. It is, you know, every single one of us will reach a point where we realize that death is an inevitability quite young. And most of us take a very long time after that to get to the point where we accept it. Um, but listening to you talk about, you know, Pluto and that 
Plutonian pain as an entryway to transformation made me think about the story of, of Buddha in beginning his spiritual quest, right? So like, uh, for those who don't know, uh, the story goes, paraphrasing very loosely here, Buddha is born, his mother goes to, you know, a, a person who can divine, I don't know what they're called in, in this context, uh, goes to someone, you know, interpret this dream for me. I had this, this dream about an elephant. Okay, cool. So your son's either going to be a great spiritual leader or a war prince. Dad is like, warlord prince, I'm all about it. None of that spiritual shit. And so dad decides, okay, baby Buddha is going to be living in this palace, is going to have a harem, is going to have everything that he could ever want. We'll never know suffering. We'll never see illness. We'll never know death. And then one day Buddha, you know, wanting to just explore some shit, is looking beyond the castle wall and sees some shit and decides to go check it out. And then Buddha encounters sickness and death and, um, and suffering, right? And that's what causes Buddha to go, what is the cause of the suffering? I will find out. On to the spiritual quest, on to enlightenment. Enlightenment is understanding the cause of suffering, which, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm an enlightened being, but as I understand it, it's that there is nothing that is actually inherently existing we are having this experience. The suffering is caused by our simultaneous attachment to this experience and aversion to letting go of the experience, aversion to the experience not being real. Uh, so we come back again and again to confront it. Um, and it, you know, listening to you talk about your Pluto placement, it makes sense to me that I would have come to think about it in this way because I have Pluto squaring all of my inner planets. So I've got Mercury, Venus, Sun. And Mars all opposing the moon and Pluto over there, mm. and Scorpio making a sweet little T square. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just like everything, everything is suffering and everything is the cause for transformation. And the uh, kind of the mantra, if there's any mantra that I've held for a long time, it's one that was given to me by a creative writing teacher, Pluto in the fifth house. And the, the tightest aspect is that square with Mercury. Um, a writing teacher who said, do what scares you most. And so ever since I've heard that, when there's something that I feel deeply afraid of, my assumption is, ah, here's something from a past life or something that is so triggering me that I better go confront it because that was my homework assignment was to move well, through the sphere. How does that go? Awesome, actually. Um, every time I've done the thing that scares me most, I have an incredible experience that makes me understand myself and the world that we live in more. Um, you know, the like silliest one, I went skydiving. I was like, you know, hooking up with someone that I dated briefly in high school when I was in college and they were, you know, working on their skydiving license and I'm terrified of heights. I don't even like being on a step stool or a ladder or scaffolding, much less jumping out of a plane, but they were like, Oh, if I paid for it, would you do it? And I'm sitting here like, mm, Pluto in the fifth house again in a different way. <laughs> like, no, I do not want to jump out of this plane person that I'm hooking up with. You want me to jump out of this plane? All right. Well, I'm afraid of it. So here we go. Like I can conquer this little tiny, I can put on the harness. I can get in the van. I can get in a plane. And then standing with my face outside of a plane realized, here we go. We have to do it. And in the first few seconds of falling, you actually have the visceral feeling of falling. And I'm like, 
I felt like, you know, the wind had been knocked out of me, couldn't breathe, thought my heart exploded. And I had this thought, if I am dying right now, I literally can't do anything about it. So I better just enjoy the view. And that type of thing has just happened every time, you know, like if I am in this experience right now that is so intense, there's nothing I can do in this exact moment to stop it. I can only be in it. And if you're going to be in it, you may as well just enjoy whatever's happening. Um, So that's my little like push through fear leads to more equanimity, leads to more spiritual awakening, leads to more intense fears to face. And and that's the, that's the ride. I love that. I feel like Pluto has like been invoked (laughs) just that story, like that adrenaline and the transformation from it. And I feel like Pluto um, will have experiences that are intense enough to awaken us like that. The describing how you felt as you were falling and that opening that came out from that. I feel like there's the, um, and I think that this can be a deep part of like soul work as well as like working with the situations that we put ourselves in because we want to feel something really deeply and learning if there's another way that we can um, work with those patterns. Cause I'll see that happen too with Pluto or like clients that come in where there's like so much crisis and it's really like, this is about your power and like claiming your power. And there's all these different crisis situations where your power is external to you and you're living this out. But like, if you like claim that for yourself, you won't have to like battle these things. Yeah. Yeah. That was very much my Saturn return experience. This like, okay, this external authority is repressing me. And if I instead just understand that I'm actually the authority here and denounce theirs, I mean, you know, Saturn returns, so it's a little youthful stuff happening in there. But um, yeah, that just like understanding that these external things are actually internal. And by internalizing them, right, that down and in process actually gives us a, a like agency to work with it and then blast it up and out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's something I mean, like I feel like it speaks to so many different iterations of Pluto. Um, you know, whether it's like an intensity of experience, when it whether it's like a confrontation of pain or a confrontation of like deep and profound loss or grief, um, or even really, really intense sex, you know, like that, like really good sex is gonna unleash a flood of oxytocin hormone that you can connect to Pluto, depending on which like schema you're using. Right. So like that super dupe, anytime we have that intensity, it just like unleashes such a profound cascade of hormones that we can't help, but be really in the moment. Right. And even like the unleashing of those hormones are all about having us either have a more permanent memory of that experience. And I think it's those memory imprints that, that give us the past life reincarnation vehicle. Um, or those experiences create so much intensity that we're like in just the present moment. And we leave that like past future thinking that kind of has us disembodied from our incarnate experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like there's this book, Aphrodite's daughters um, and it's about 
Um, this researcher interviewed a bunch of women about like profound sexual experiences that they'd had. And she spent like two days with each person that she interviewed. So she like went really deep with them and basically was presenting all these stories about intense sexual experiences that were vehicles for awakening and just like the way that that can be such a portal um, and all this, you know, information can come through all this like psychic and emotional content. And I think there's been a few conversations on this podcast about it, but I was mentioning on one of just like, I think that the culture kind of like prepared me to know that sexuality could be like an emotional experience and a pleasurable one, but not this like kind of like plutonic, like the world opening up like this, this intense epiphany or transformation or life-changing epicenter. And I think that there is that quality of Pluto. And I think that that also creates the shadow side of Pluto as well with like need and addiction and like manipulation. Cause if there's something that um, activates us in such a way that is that immensely pleasurable and that opening, and we don't know how to have that feeling state on our own, that like, it's almost like nothing compares or like, where do we find that energy or how do we integrate that energy when we're locating it as this particular circumstance, this particular person, then we'll do all sorts of things to kind of like manipulate reality or manipulate other people to have that feeling. We're just chasing a sensation. Absolutely. Yeah. That reminds me of a, of a lecture that Michael Harner, this uh, anthropologist, gave as like a, a public lecture at CIIS, California Institute for Integral Studies. I know you know that institution quite well. Um, and he was talking about drugs and like other world journeying. Um, so he was talking about like shamanic practices and drugs. And he basically said, you know, <clears throat> in cultures that have these deep, like other world journeying type of shamanic practices and also really potent entheogens, the entheogens are thought to simply give you a more quick and immediate access to where you're trying to get. It's like, boom, here's the vision of your goal. Okay, cool. Now do the, like the drumming or the dancing, whatever ecstatic practice gets you there. Um, Yeah. And, you know, even with, with sex, like, from a, even from a Buddhist perspective, you know, my young experience was like, one should be abstinent because sex begets attachment and attachment begets reincarnation and samsara and that's bad. So don't have sex. And then, you know, later and more understanding, like, okay, that's clearly not a possible framework for everybody permanently. How do you do this relationship thing? And then I come to find out, oh, like it's actually, it's not the sex is bad. It's the sex so intense it gives us this experience that if we don't have the proper vehicle for it, it can just be overwhelmingly distracting. Not bad. Just like, mm. if you just are like trying to get off repeatedly, then you might miss the experience of like the intense emotional bonding that comes from lots of eye contact and like breathing heavy with someone in pursuit of an orgasm. That's totally separate from just trying to get off. Um, mm. And in that like really deeply intense experience, the thing that I've thought about 
it's like, okay, so if you, you know, have sex with a handful of people and you, you get somewhat skilled at it, you're able to like achieve your goal in your sexual encounters. then there comes a point where you have sexual experiences that are so much more intense and activate it such a different part of you that it like just makes it just like with, you know, meditation, you get to a point where you go, Oh, here's my body. And then here's the me that's like, I am me. And then here's something else that's having an awareness of the me and my body. And that's not even the whole story. There's something else going on here. And I think when we tap into that, that's what allows us to go like, oh, there's something super mystical. It's not just like sex and genes combining and making a baby. There's like some other whole process taking place as we engage being incarnate, interacting with other incarnate beings. Like, you know, we we have that understanding that like, oh, I'm a spirit having the experience of being a human. And there's a bunch of other things that have to happen for that like video game to work, so to speak. I like to think about life like a video game. I do too, actually. And like that metaphor can be disturbing for people. It doesn't feel disturbing to me. Like I've even thought about it in terms of like um, when you're collecting coins on a lot of different games where you just kind of like run into these coins and it stacks up um, like that kind of image Um, I can think of for like just certain things that have a compound effect, like you're doing this little thing here and there and you're kind of collecting something in your bank Um, and even like leveling up and how we get really good at something and then the level changes and we're beginner's mind again and we get good at it again and then the level and video games are a great kind of teaching for some of those dynamics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think... You know, even to carry the video game further, like we can, you know, we've got these charts. We have all these different skill sets or reservoirs of energy, however you want to think about the planets and their houses. Um, And as we level up and we have our life experiences, we can choose to invest in one or the other or totally ignore it. Like, you know, if you play a fighting game, you can have a character that's like, super good at magic but if it gets hit once it's going to die because it doesn't have any defense stats because you want to do all the cool op magic tricks um you know life is just like that if we obsessively follow venus and mars or we obsessively follow you know the sun and the moon even if we're just like so tripped out on our consciousness and our awareness and that's all we think about then it leaves these other areas of life these other skill sets underdeveloped um and that's why i think that you know, this idea that there's a karmic reason that we have to come back, there's work left to be done, doesn't need to be punitive. Um, you know, just like part of my Saturn return experience was the sudden realization that like, oh, I can do anything, but I can only do one thing at a time. And there's only so much time allotted to me. So if I line up all the things I want to do in one neat little row... I have to accept there are going to be some things I may never get to. So yeah, I can do anything, uh, you know, but there's always going to be something I want to come back for. I sometimes think about life like that, you know, like it's a game that's so cool. You're like, why wouldn't I like start up a new one? Yeah. 
I like that. I like that you have been bringing up that reincarnation isn't punitive. I feel like that's one of the first layers of like things that people, like if we're studying reincarnation, like that's one of the things to let drop away. Cause oh, there's yeah. this, like, did I do something bad? Like when I have difficult things happen in my life, did I earn it or deserve it? Well, yeah. there's a lot of different ways of looking at this. Um, and also to the point of like, I sometimes have these, like a wish, like for superpowers to like just freeze time and be able to like go into some kind of like training reality and to just like learn any skill that I want. Like it's so, I've like actually thought about that because it would just be nice to like become masterful at other things. But I have allocated my time like towards writing as one thing, for example. And there's just that, I feel that kind of desire within me of like, but can't I just do everything? Like you can't, (laughs) but if you keep reincarnating, yeah. And I think that some of our like natural talents that we come into this life with can be things that we've developed in prior lives. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, I think there are a few too many things to be able to explain like that we understand no experience interact with to be able to explain it with just what happens in our lifetimes. Um, whether we think about it like a priori knowledge or, or some other way, um, you know, and to think about philosophy, what you are saying about like, you know, like, did I deserve this? I think that that's something that I come to a lot. That was kind of part of what informed my lecture and my, my interest in looking at intersectionality in an astrological context is, you know, if we do come back, even if we just come once, if our charts are some sort of map or decoder ring to explain what we came here for, if there is any sort of reason, then it makes sense that the next question would be, there's a reason, there's a purpose. Did I achieve the purpose correctly? Um, that there would be this this question of just desserts, right? Like that philosophical notion. And I think that one, it doesn't really make sense in terms of like the historical and cultural context that, that begets reincarnation or multi-lifetime schemas. Um, but two, it is, it is extremely punitive. And I think that there, that it's really important to distinguish between um, worldly events that are a result of individuals free will, their choices in circumstances that are very this lifetime, this time space and impulses that may be carried from, um, whether it's intergenerational trauma or previous lifetimes that, you know, for instance, uh, I think a lot about I have Chiron and Gemini in the 12th house. And though, Many people experience me as being an eloquent speaker. I feel like I just cannot express myself well. Um, this like deep hang up around language and wounding around language. And it turns out that my great grandmother was, you know, was in a missionary boarding school, and like a lot of indigenous people, had her language tortured out of her. So it makes sense that I would, in this intergenerational, multi lifetime way, have this language hang up. And perhaps, you know, Chiron in the 12th, that there is something about um, my spiritual essence over multiple lifetimes that's here to confront 
um, a coming into integration with the power of speech, both as like a sacred and magical act and as a mundane um, communication thing. And also the fact that my grandmother was in a board, my great grandmother was in a boarding school. The fact that those things happened to my family, that's not karma. That's society. Um, and I think it's really important to distinguish between those two things. Perhaps that's not accurate in a religious or philosophical sense. I definitely grant that. Um, but I think if we think about this idea of coming back for a reason, then it's impossible to not then ask, are people who are born into terrible circumstances of suffering supposed to experience that? No, I don't, I don't think that's how that works. Um, you know, and even circumstances that have been happening recently, um, you know, I think a lot about a couple of different things I've heard, you know, we are the ones we've been waiting for, right? Alice Walker. Um, or I don't know who is the one who said this, that we are our ancestors' wildest dreams come true, right? We are the answer to our ancestors' prayers. Um, then I think that it's perhaps not a stretch to think that some of the suffering we experience, especially some of the tragedies that occur, are not um, this like punitive, carceral, you fucked up and so now you get to have something bad happen to you, but a, hey, I recognize that I can come, I have the strength to endure this experience of human suffering or difficulty and that is part of answering the prayers to, um, you know, to be someone who, to be somebody who is able to awaken others through our experiences. Um, but there's a lot of really, really complicated and icky, like philosophical stuff that comes up when one treads along this line. So I could certainly understand why younger astrologers or many astrologers might really prefer to stick with something that's much more about um, concrete, descriptive, and, and predictive um, aspects of astrology than trying to untangle the like, is that your weird compulsion because something happened to you when you were 12? Or do you have some multi-lifetime karmic hangup and until you figure out how to do better, you're like on this <laughs> track of escalating, like, escalating stakes or something, you know? I, yeah, I have so many thoughts on this because this is like working with Pluto. It's a question that has, you know, continued to come up. But one of the things that it's making me think of is Saturn and how um, I believe that there is a, a neutral version of Saturn and a punitive version of Saturn. And the, in the mythology, I think that what Saturn is doing energetically is calcifying and creating like, whenever something has happened over and over again, it creates a compound result this cause and effect and cause and effect then creates, you know, from one decision or from one pattern creates a reality. And in that reality, we make choices based off of that reality and it creates new things. So mm -hmm. karma and cause and effect is a narrowing, compressing path. And we can do things like when we're, doing meditation regularly or we're changing, you know, we're doing something healthy or mindful or something and we're using discipline or Saturn, we can create kind of new karmas in a sense of like, mm -hmm. um, I did that with my patterns with depression of like worked to kind of change my 
brain patterns. Um, mm-hmm. And it was hard to do because I had patterns and historical family ancestral patterns around depression. Mm-hmm. And so um, with what's happening like in society and culture, it feels like the world is also like is a being of cause and effect. And there's all these things that have happened in history and have created circumstances. And then we incarnate here and we're in this matrix of society. Um, So another thing that comes to mind is thinking about Neptune and dream interpretation and how some dream interpretation teachings go that we don't just have a dream and then rush to interpret it and be like, well, this thing in the dream meant this. And I think that working to understand our karma or our past lives or why things are happening in our life can be similar to dream interpretation where you let the symbols and images work on you and like really feel into like a deeper truth that and like a process that's emerging rather than kind of closing and clamping down of like, well, it must mean this and coming up with some kind of reductionistic story that rationalizes something that doesn't necessarily really need to be rationalized. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, if, if Neptune is dreams and, and also, you know, as a, as a Buddhist thinker, I think, think of Neptune as the veil, right? Like Neptune is the veil of illusion. Um, and dream and even meditation, right? Any, any practice that has us really focusing our awareness on the mental phenomena, um, has the ability to give us more insights into what's going on. And also that like what's happening in dream is also real to our dreaming self. It is indistinguishable from waking reality. Um, And I think that that's part of why dream has this like liberatory quality um, and this really creative quality. Like even you know, as somebody who, you know, been a musician since I was a kid, I write songs and stuff um, and play a lot of music. And when I'm constantly, if I'm playing an hour or two a day, then I'll hit a point where I'm dreaming music, dreaming music that I've heard, dreaming music that I haven't heard. Sometimes I'm having, you know, I, when I was maybe 11 or 12, had this really visceral dream of playing very specific chords and like being able to see my hands and woke up and immediately wrote the chords and had the tune still in my head. Um, but even thinking about, you know, like kind of this thread of Buddhism and reincarnation has reflected my astrological thought. Um, one of the practices, one of the like long-term meditation practices that I've engaged is, is this dream yoga, this dream meditation practice. And the first step is throughout the day, as you engage one phenomenon after another, seeing this thing i recognize i am dreaming i recognize the dreamlike qualities of this experience um and you know engaging like lucid dreaming practice my experience is that rather than attempting to interpret the dream the goal is to get into like the character of the dream and when i understand the feeling that i was having in that dream space i can then better like interpret the reality that's happening to that like matches that dream state. Um, but I often find that dream oh, dream is like such a weird thing. Like Neptune has this ability to like, you know, it's so foggy 
I have to stop thinking about Neptune before I like my brain totally disintegrates. Um, but being in that Neptunian fog, it's like everything becomes super symbolic. Like we can get on that, that roller coaster ride of the Bardo and experience everything. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, in the process of trying to do that Martian um, distinction, discrimination, we lose the, the symbolic everythingness. I'm sure there's like some Greek word that describes that. Um, but yeah, that Neptunian thing, I feel like Neptune and Mars can't really live in the same place. They're conjunct right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they very much are. Um, so, so weird. <laughs> what about, we haven't spoken about um, Uranus in terms of reincarnation. So this is a thought I've had that like, it's not in any sort of like Buddhist thought or reincarnation book that I've read, but I think a lot that like time isn't linear. And just because we have this experience of reincarnating from one lifetime to the next doesn't mean like I reincarnated in 1902 and then I reincarnated in 1985. And then I read like, no, it's very possible that we're just like bouncing all over the timeline of human existence. Um, but even if we totally. aren't, I feel like there's this like both. So like the experience of enlightenment is both this awareness and a state, but both the awareness and the state are not necessarily permanent once achieved. Um, so sometimes I think about, you know, like I feel like probably most people have had this experience one time or another of a momentary sudden aha, everything clicking into place. And any number of events can distract you away from that like, ah, precise moment. So I think like there's that in there. There's like this sudden ability to awaken, to find ourselves tapped in to something. And I think definitely the experience of like spiritual awakening that a lot of folks have spoken to in the last, I don't know, like 20, 30 years. Um, this like, almost like a spiritual awakening crisis process, right? It's like sudden emergence of way too much information. Yeah. Massive download, totally just like blows open everything you know. It's completely disorienting. You have to like lay bare, like mm, that's not quite the right word, that's Saturnian. Explode everything you know. And in the process of exploding all that, there is a bit of clarity, a bit of realization, and then like packs back down again and we do the whole cycle over and over like I don't know like electrical currents I don't know it feels like a very like wave function you can know the velocity you can know the position but never both kind of thing yeah wow <laughs> um I love all the places that this is letting me travel like um so one thing that I'm thinking about with Uranus is I was at um an astrology talk um, and there's been a few, so like groups of people, I think is like you're honest as well. And like going to a place where people are gathered is like, you can feel kind of the group field. And there's been a few mm -hmm. occasions, um, where just being in a mass of people is a peak experience, um, for whatever reason, I have dreams all the time about groups of people and parties and just like masses of people. And I was at an astrology talk. 
It was Rosie Finn in Olympia. And I don't think I'd seen her speak before. And I'd heard about her in the community, but I hadn't like gone to any of her events. And I was completely mesmerized um, and just was feeling like this bolt of aliveness, like this is incredible. And I was still like building my astrology practice. It was like towards the earlier part of it. So I was also really inspired and kind of like electrified, but I spoke to her after and I forget, you know, all of the contents of our conversation, but something she said really stuck with me because I was telling her that I'm studying like evolutionary astrology and I, I want to know my past lives and I want to be able to psychically know other people's past lives so I can tell them that in readings. And she was like, if you want to know that, I'm sure that you will be able to. Like she just had this kind of certainty about it. And I think that you're honest, like represents this data bank in a sense of like all information that ever was, ever will be. And you know, in that there's so much sponginess because like things may, you know, are there alternate timelines? Do things, you know, can we change the future? All that are like big questions. But within that, there's this data bank. And so I think that receiving information or like wanting to know about our past lives or wanting to receive answers from our intuition or from the universe that there's this kind of force in reality that like we can just ask questions and discover how to tune our frequency to receive the answers and i just love that about that planet (laughs) yes um one of my first like didn't work for marketing purposes, but I really felt passionate about it. Uh, like, I don't even know what you're supposed to call it, uh, taglines or something that I thought about a lot is like tuning into your synchronicity frequency. Like Uranus holds that. And if you can tap into Uranus, it's like tuning the dial selector into the exact set of experiences that you want to have with the exact set of knowledge that you're looking for. You know, like um, I know some people associate Uranus with the Akashic records. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, like the, the ability to tap into that, like multiplicity of lifetimes, um, I feel like Uranus definitely holds this, like, I don't know, super duality. Like if duality is, is binary, right? Like three dimensions up, down, left, right. It's all binary opposition. Then like Uranus is like the super cube version of that. Like it's not duality. It's like, cubality or i don't know how you're supposed to say it but um it's like this ability like as we exist if there is this multi-lifetime thing that's happening then something about me here also holds everything that me has ever done all the different me's i've ever been so it's you know in that way like there's a hundred different radio stations i just happen to be tuned into this bare frequency but if you're really highly attuned or, you know, psychically skilled, then you can tune into a slightly different frequency of what I've been about. Um, yeah. I feel like this can be worked with, like Uranus is also about trauma, but I think mm-hmm. that we have these past life traumas and we can be tuned into those stations so that when we're doing a thing that triggers us uh, into a memory that this thing got us killed, then we can rewrite that by mantra or affirmation 
um, and tune into a different frequency, a different timeline, a different reality. And so I think of that, like, especially just with the astrology this week and kind of how I was delineating it with the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction and the Mars-Neptune, it felt like there's this simultaneous pull to look at sobering realities and like dive into like the shadow and like what's happening and like what's in society and also to dream and to have a vision. And I think that that applies for our own deep history, which is our past lives, that if things went wrong for us in a prior life, they don't have to again, but reclaiming that knowledge and then reminding ourselves that we're not in that same situation and changing the dial or the frequency in this life can be a huge like empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. There's God. Yeah. Just the ability to, to understand that nothing is permanent. Like all of our experiences are illusory, even if only in the sense that they, they only exist in this one second and every other second of awareness is, is the, the like anticipation of it or the, the memory of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like what you said about Uranus and trauma got me thinking about, you know, what I, what I was saying earlier, even it, you know, maybe it's not reincarnation. Maybe it's just very potent ancestral memory or, or epigenetic memories or markers. Um, you know, even the experience or the memory of like, I died this way. Like, we have in us the memory of every single ancestor that there that we've had and every single one of them has died somehow, you know? So we're like, we're very much the product of everything that has become, that has come before us. And yeah, something feels very Uranian about the ability to, to tap into that, whether it's the, like the trauma memory or signature or the like sudden unleashing of that through through some process that I think is like, that's what the incarnation is about, right? The ability to get in far enough away from the traumatic event to like do something liberatory and totally different, um, you know, do something very Uranian with regards to that thread of events or cause and effect that's been in play. Yeah. Well, this has been like a really amazing like conversation. <laughs> like the, yeah. um, I feel like we opened up like a a portal where we we could just keep exploring like these themes. It's really cool. Absolutely. And we that's what we talked about. We're gonna philosophize about reincarnation, and yes. so it's just really cool to see what we generated. Um, yeah. So it feels like kind of weird to like pivot, but. I guess I will <laughs> and ask <laughs> like, what's the moon doing right now? Where are we? Like um, how can people find you and work with you? And like, what kind of astrology do you do? Cause I think that's really interesting too. what you're combining. Yeah. Um, so my astrological practice is, is very intersectional. Um, I just recently gave a lecture on the intersectionality of astrology um, through Norwalk, the Northwest astrological conference. Um, so folks can find that. My website is Psyche and Soul Astrology. 
psyche and soul spelled just like they would be astrology spelled just like it would be and the best way to get a hold of me is to email bear at psyche and soul astrology bear spelled like the animal um my astrological practice and the way that i work with clients is actually really heavily influenced by my my time as a personal trainer and my work as a mentor with youth so i'm very much about empowerment my favorite way to work with clients is to kind of identify what's up for you what are you working on great let's dialogue about what's in your chart what skills and experiences you have that you can pull on to move towards whatever that goal is um and really like a self-empowerment metaphysical coach i guess is kind of like the best way i could think to describe it you know i i love working with folks on a weekly basis or a monthly basis and they really get into like tune in on a week-to-week basis and give little challenges and and exercises and journal prompts um the other stuff that's going on you can get me on patreon patreon bear river b-e-a-r my last name is r-y-v-e-r um and right now i've just got enough patrons to meet my second goal so i'll be launching monthly moon work workshop webinars basically everyone's going to show up i'm going to talk about what's up with the lunation um, run everybody through a set of exercises to dig into your chart and get a bit of information about what's up for you specifically and how to use the astrological uh, significations to get some practical, tangible take home uh, action items. And I feel like that pretty much says it. Uh, my astrological style is very weird, very, uh, very mixed EA, Hellenistic, kind of bring in everything. Um, and uh, I guess kind of unusual for an astrologer would be that I do horary. So uh, the astrology of answering questions, I'm also a Reiki master. So sometimes I pull that in and do a little Reiki tune up. And then instead of attuning folks to the typical Reiki things, attuning them to the planets that are posing the most kind of challenges or, or difficulty in integration. That's cool. I feel like this, uh, Chiron and Gemini, like pulling from like different modalities and that when we do that, we can, we can just really tune in with the moment of like what wants to be here right now. Like what tool like can be applied to this situation. And so you get to just kind of like explore with a spontaneity of what's coming up. Yes, absolutely. Oh, this has been so wonderful. I love talking about astrology, but this has been a, a special treat to just talk about all the stuff that leads us to astrology. I'm glad. Yeah. And I noticed like towards the end that you have like a painting behind you that says explore. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I feel that. Yeah. It's got the the planets there too. So it kind of reminds me of like the, um, like Wade Caves and STA, like, uh, the school of traditional astrology and dev holding like their kind of aesthetic around describing um describing temperament theory in astrology so i kind of saw that was like cool planets cool also reminds me of super nerdy astrology education cool this has been awesome um thank you so much for sharing with us um and People can find you. Did you drop your social medias too? Oh, right. Uh, social media. You can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Astral. It's A-S-T-R-A-L. 
underscore IDS. Think like astral, like the astral plane and lids, like hats. One day I'll get around to making astrology hats again. It's a whole, whole other conversation. You make um, astrology hats? Yeah, I've made a couple of hats that are like express the chart. So it's not like, ooh, Capricorn with a goat on it. But like, oh, cool. Your chart has a lot of really like, um, my charts, my hats are really over the top, very, very loud. Um, always find something that's got a little bit of gold. My favorite is like a teal hat with a peacock print on the like the main part of the cap. It's got like gold around the peacock feathers. Super duper. Like I have to make planets in Leo. So that kind of thing. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I hope that you make hats again. I want to be in on that. Yes. Yes, we will definitely be hanging out. We live so close together. The next time we do this, we will we'll do it embodied like. Um, right. Thank you so much for inviting me and having me on Spirit. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Bear. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to know what you thought, what your takeaways were, what you resonated with. Go ahead and leave a comment on Instagram on either one of our profiles where we're sharing this episode um, and tag us so that we can see. And I'll be back soon with the forecast and our regular podcast programming. Do check out my Kickstarter. I'm leaving the link in the notes. Um, There's many different tiers of levels that you can contribute, but if you're a regular and you really enjoy this content, anything that you would like to provide to show your support for the year ahead would mean so very much. And of course, there's also these really awesome rewards and opportunities through the Kickstarter um, to expand your world further and learn astrology or learn how to cultivate an online presence. I cannot wait to share it with you. And go ahead and find me on the socials as well at Sabrina Monarch on Instagram and at Sabrina underscore Monarch on Twitter. You can also find me on Facebook, Sabrina Monarch. All right. Have a beautiful week. Thank you.